Left. Right. This is the first of two episodes entitled Thought Experiments in Philosophical Dilemmas. We introduce a handful of ideas, some concepts, uh, some situations, if you will, where the right answer is, well, not always the right answer. And it's very difficult to make a decision uh, in that moment. So some of these are real scenarios. Some of them are hypothetical. Some of them are real scenarios with hypothetical constraints. Either way, I think you'll enjoy this episode. I think you'll enjoy the examples we give. So if you do, give me a thumbs up. And uh, that note, I'll see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 224. Today we are talking about thought experiments and philosophical problems. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philosopher, philanderer, philanthropist. He's pissed half the time anyways. James, how's it hanging down there in South Carolina? Uh, things are all right. It, seems, it feels like it's been a while since we've done this cast. I think uh, a lot of life has happened. Yeah, well, you know, I feel a little rusty going into it. I... Uh, I didn't have a bottle to bring on hand. I just had a big handle. So what I did instead was just pour myself one uh, giant cup. <laughs> so I'm hoping uh, I typically so drink. One thing that I like to days. do is like I think that handles are unwieldy, and I really like pouring from a bottle that has a proper bar pourer in it. So yeah. what I do is I'll buy a handle of like certain liquors that I like, and I'll have a 750 sized bottle on my bar that I'll refill from, from the, handle. the handle. I do the exact same thing uh, because, you know, you can't just pour from the bit. But I didn't have it right now. Um, but as a bar hack, and this is Sip Talk, fair enough that we bring in some bar hacks. We need to bring back more alcohol into our conversation, <laughs> not just the alcohol that goes into our bodies where we have the conversation. But we need, you know, we've made some drinks on air, things like that. Uh, but today we're talking about thought experiments and philosophical problems. And as a philosopher and a philanderer and a philanthropist, uh, who better to be uh, to be introducing these ideas? Uh, some of these are pretty cool, pretty profound, require a lot of insight, and some of them are a little silly. Um, yeah, I like the ones where I, I like the ones that have to deal with ethics, where you have to think like, what would you do? Yeah, uh, I I completely agree. Anything that we should add before we just break into this into this article. I know uh, our listener out there uh, is probably really excited for us to get started. Um, but how, uh, or, <laughs> anything we, we got to lead up to this with or we just jump right in? Um, I guess we're going to just start with the trolley problem because that's probably the one that most people, <clears throat> even non-philosophy, even someone who's never been exposed to philosophy, probably has heard of the trolley problem. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I will. I will. I will lead here uh, with the trolley problem, and uh, I'll, I'll let you hit the next one. Uh, let's see. Now, 
Philippa Foote and Judith Thompson's trolley and transplant plant problems? Is that the official name? Am I, am no, I... the, like, the, the trolley problem, I don't know who came up with it, but there's probably, like, the variations mm -hmm. on this are probably yeah. credited to Philippa Foote and Judith Thompson. Okay, fair enough. Here's the, here's the, the trolley problem. You notice there are five individuals tied to some train or trolley tracks. The train is coming right at them, and you do not have time to untie them. However, you could pull a lever diverting the train to another set of tracks. But in doing so, you would kill an innocent bystander who's tied to those tracks. Now, obviously, you know, this is something that people use as an example all the time, and then they just get shut down because that's never a realistic scenario. Um, but I think everyone would pull the lever and kill the innocent person that is i guess they're all innocent in this well <laughs> yeah um, but you're just you're killing one instead of five so um, but you are the one pulling the lever so to a degree you are choosing the death of a man you are you are you are involved in in making someone die you have a higher personal responsibility for the one death than you would for the five because if you just let the train continue you've done nothing and and you know if, if you hear about a lot of people being mugged and, and uh, you know, whatever in the streets of New York, and most people literally do nothing. Um, and then you, every, every once in a while, you know, I haven't heard this in a long time. Uh, oh, actually, I have. But what happens is somebody can get involved and that person might get sued. So, for example, if somebody's choking at a restaurant and then they pass out and somebody comes over and does CPR um, and cracks their ribs, that person might sue the person who did CPR. So... And, in most states, they actually have laws that protect people from those kind of lawsuits. Well, get remember what happened in the New York City subway. I think it was last year. There was a crazy guy uh, attacking people, and a guy put him in a chokehold, and the the guy uh, ended up killing him. Right. The, the guy giving the chokehold killed right. the person in the chokehold, just trying to restrain him. Um, and I think, I don't, I think he might've walked. I, I, they just released a verdict like, like three to five weeks ago. Really? I thought it was that he just got charged a couple weeks ago and like the trial hasn't happened yet. No, I, 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 who the hell knows? Um, I thought the trial had commenced, but I don't know. We're here to talk about, uh, trolleys. Uh, um, so what's your, known as the most basic version of, of this problem? What's your answer and why? I think that if you had, I, I think that that to a degree, a moral obligation would be to save the lives of net four people. Yeah, <laughs> that's a utilitarian day, answer. That's that's yeah, it is. It is, but it, I think most people would do nothing. Um, but I think that you know, if you had the wherewithal, um, you know, you're, you're saving net four lives. What would you do? <laughs> My answer is nothing. And the reason is I was not the cause of the disaster beforehand. But as soon as I do anything, I am. Well, that's saying that you didn't tie these people to the tracks just to set up your own experiment. Well, I mean, yeah, but then then I'm really responsible for six people dying because like, I'm going to run the experiment again. <laughs> um. But the, there was an interesting comment, and I think I think an engineer talked about the trolley problem, and he said, uh, "In put it into like more realistic terms, 
where like the train's brakes go out or something and mm-hmm. like you know that it's headed one way and like if you don't pull the like you know that the train's brakes go out and there's a switch that you can flip and if like you don't flip the switch then the train like derails and like the people on the train die or if you flip the switch the train goes across like an intersection where like the like the the crossing the train crossing things can't go down in time and it'll hit a car and kill like two or three people so mm-hmm. again it's just like again scales of like more people will die if you do nothing less people will die if you do something but you had to do it well this is and- where we stand with programming the the computers i mean we're calling any algorithm now ai effectively well, but yeah. this, is, this is it's just funny how now we've just we're using ai for everything but effectively how you program the ai the decision making for an autonomous vehicle for a self-driving mm-hmm. car. There are many scenarios where you run into the tree to avoid hitting the person, or you hit the person to avoid running into the tree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the 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 program of the self-driving car does it value the lives of the people inside the car more than the lives of the people outside the car? And so the engineer's answer to this question was, it doesn't matter what you do. Because this situation should never have come up. As an engineer, when you're designing systems, your first goal is to have redundancy for safety. And like this situation where the train's brakes going out and it being too fast to go around a turn, that's a failure of the system. And the ethics of what you do at the controls of this switch don't matter because somebody long before you failed in a much bigger way. Fair enough. Um, but that's, that's, that would be the ideal. That would be the ideal that it doesn't happen, but let's, let's hit some variations on this. Cause I want to get through our full list today. Get a lot. I didn't think we'd have enough content, but we're digging deeper into this one. Than, than I thought well, we yeah, but it, oh. like it's a, it's, it's really basic level philosophy and most philosophers don't think that it's even a very good thought experiment, but at the same time, there's something visceral about it that makes it easy to talk about. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not very deep. I think that's probably. No. Um, all right. So variation one, like it's five random people that the train's about to hit. And the one person is your spouse. A, a loved one of yours. Um, yeah, then, then, you know, I think, I think most people would, uh, would not do anything and let the train take out the five people. However, Can you imagine, imagine <laughs> you pull the switch and then something happens where they're saved and you have to go back home. <laughs> like, and they're going to be saying, I can't believe you pulled the switch and sent it towards me. <laughs> It was the it was save uh, five people, <laughs> but the, this train had brakes. It's time to Married a philosopher who told you at the, very early on he was a utilitarian. What else did you expect he was going to do? Um, all right, next uh, next variation, please. <laughs> um, same set. There's only one set of tracks, and the train's bound to run over the five people. However, you notice a very large individual whom you can push in front of the train to stop it from running over the people. This would kill the large individual. They couldn't have just had a car. You have there's a person in the car, and <laughs> they just had to say a really fat person. Um, 
So are you going to push a really fat person in front of the train to save to save people? Yes, because now it's hilarious. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, all right. Uh, next the last one. Like, um, oh, we talked about self-driving, so you're talking about yeah, number three here. Yeah, so you're a surgeon, and you've got a patient that is healthy, but you also know that the hospital's transplant list is missing. It, there's a long list for all these different organs. And like, if you let this patient who has like a really easy treatable condition that like, if you do the surgery, they're going to survive and be just fine. But if you let them die, then their organs can then save five other people's lives. So, yeah. So you basically have someone's body cut open in a, in a routine surgery. Um, and if you let them die, you could, you could harvest their organs. This is why a lot of people don't become organ donors. This exact scenario. They're afraid that the hospital would let them die um, because they could use their organs. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to donate organs because I want to be cryogenically frozen. I figure I might need them later. Maybe not, though, depending on how far technology gets. Um, <laughs> or if they're ever able to defrost someone who's been cryogenically frozen, which they have not been able to do. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I think it would be fully immoral to kill that person to save the other five. I think there's no, no question about that. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting how, in, like with the free, like how the phrasing of the question changes your response when, if you break it down into like a mathematical formula, they're all the same. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you're just boiling it down here. Um, uh, all right. Do the uh, ship of Theseus real yeah. quick. Yeah, I just want to know what your answer is on this one. Okay. So the ship of Theseus, you've got a boat, and I like how you're just summarizing these. I'm I'm reading them. Still. Oh, I know this one. But yeah, I mean, everybody knows it. But 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 go ahead, uh, summarize it. You've got a boat, and over the course of many years of you owning this boat, occasionally you've got to replace a part here or there. You've got to replace some wood that's gotten rotten. You've got to replace parts of the engine. You got to replace the, all the and over a long enough period of time, after fifty years, every single piece of this boat. You've had to replace the hull. You've had to replace uh, the deck boards. Okay. Yeah. So over the course of fifty years, this boat looks exactly the same as it did fifty years ago, but every single piece of this boat has been replaced. There's through not, various repairs. There's so a, there's not a single original piece of this boat still remaining. But it still looks just like it did when you bought it brand new. The question is, is this the same boat? Uh, I would say very simply yes. And that uh, most things, take humans for example, our cells are, except I think some brain cells, uh, always regenerating. So part of the the life cycle of of anything intrinsically involves replacement. So at, at, at the core, uh, we are always changing, but we are still the same. And I'll give you an example. Somebody who's committed a crime, um, you know, and, and now all this time has passed and they realize that was wrong. They're a different person, but they're still the same person. Well, that makes me think of a post I saw a while back, which was 
two things can be true simultaneously. Someone can have done terrible things, recognize the error of their ways, and be a legitimately better person and, and, and have atoned. And the people that that person harmed in the past can still refuse to want to deal with them because of the trauma that they have suffered, even though this person has now reformed and is, is a better person. Those two things can happen at the same time, and that's okay. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's the, that's perspective. His perspective, he's a new person. Their perspective, he's the same person. That, or even if their perspective is he's a new person, but he still caused tremendous harm to me, and I don't want to be, I don't, seeing him as a reminder of the bad things that happened to me. That, that, yeah, triggering. Fair enough. Um, are there variations on this? Um. Oh yeah, this is oh I love I love this variation, which which is literally the, the thing we were talking about right before we went on air with Swamp Man. But it, it oh, the teleportation. I'll, I'll, I'll explain the teleportation. Basically, you go into a teleportation machine. The machine itself dissects you molecule by molecule and, until you are erased, and then it reassembles you at the somewhere end, else, somewhere different location. It could be across the room, and it reassembles molecule by molecule you again. Uh, are you the same person? Now, arguably, if it was the same molecules, but but what if it just now? What if it just arguably you'd be the same person in that scenario? The other side of that is, what if it takes a copy of you and then vaporizes you, and then you appear over there, made out of new material, but an exact copy of you? Right, and when you materialize, like you blink and you're just like, okay, like things continue on. You have. Like there was no pain. You like your mental state is the same before and after. So it, 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 the machine is good enough to be able to replicate all of that. Is uh, this still the same person? There's there's a really and I'm gonna make a big spoiler uh, on this movie. So spoiler alert: The Prestige. Uh, it's a Hugh Jackman movie with Christian Bale, Scarlett Johansson's in it. Um, it's it's. Uh, it's got who else is in it? Michael Caine. It's it's a cool movie about a magician who basically they're always coming up with new tricks. And one of his tricks is he's got a teleportation machine. Uh, in actuality, what's happening is it's creating a duplicate of him, but it doesn't erase the original. And what you find out towards the end of the movie, the other the other rival magician is trying to copy his his trick, and he uh, he finds out at the end that it wasn't a trick. He actually had this machine, but in the basement under the stage are all these vats where what would happen is the original would drop below the stage and would fall into a vat and they would seal it and he would drown to death. So every time they did this trick, the original walking into the machine would then suffer a painful, agonizing death. Yeah, so he just had clones upon clones of himself. But, but he was... But himself... You know, he himself was committing suicide by drowning each and every time he did this trick, which to me is just fucking terrifying to think about. Uh, and it's 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 a kind of cool moment in the movie when you realize this shit's actually actually happening. Hey, that's pretty much the ending scene, isn't it? Uh, I I don't know. I have not seen the movie in a long time. Um, all right, you want to hit the next one here? Um, a simple surgery. You're a doctor in the future. A patient comes into your office with a number of symptoms. 
um, and you quickly identify their ailment, a failing heart, they will surely die without treatment. In fact, they pass out in your offer, uh, office. Luckily, you know that all that's required is a simple surgery to give your patient like a synthetic valve that'll fix their heart. Yet, as you're preparing the patient to, to go into surgery, a small medical card falls out of their pocket, indicating that for religious reasons, they do not want anything synthetic in their body. And this valve is synthetic. So if you do not install this synthetic valve, the patient's going to die. But if you do, you're violating the patient's wishes. Do you pretend that you didn't see the card and perform the surgery? Or do you let the patient die because you know that the card says that that's not what they want? Uh, um, I, I love the two variations on this, by the way. Um, I don't know. I, I would think in the interest of saving people that, that you would pretend you didn't see the card. Because, that, because you are the doctor that performs life-saving transplant synthetic valve surgeries. That's your thing. Uh, I think you would be more inclined to pretend you didn't see the card than not and not honor someone's religion. You and I as two non-religious people, <laughs> I, th I think probably do the same thing. Um, but maybe not, again, because it's the other person's wishes. Who knows? My I answer is different, I, actually. Hold on. I just think that if you were to ask the person in that moment, hey, your life's over, or we do this, in the moment, everyone would choose to live. That's my thinking, is that in that moment, he would choose to live. And, and, and the choice that he made wasn't, wasn't with death knocking. It was more of a, uh, you know, fleeting belief. That, that in the case of real death, someone would choose to live. But when they were running the thought experiment, my God doesn't want me to use a pig's heart uh, or a synthetic valve. Or whatever, yeah. Some synthetic part that'll save their life. Yeah. Um, um, my answer is no. You, you don't save them. <laughs> You're just condemning someone because they're religious. That's why. No, it's you. You <laughs> now have knowledge. Um, and actually, so Kevin... Kevin asked this, and I was actually going to bring this up. I was thinking the same thing, which is imagine like you're a paramedic and you arrive on the scene of an accident and there's someone that needs like CPR or something immediately. And as you're like, like pulling off their shirt to like start giving the CPR, a do not resuscitate card is there. Yeah. Well, it's effectively the same thing, except they took the ante up. One. So there's a do not resuscitate card that falls out. Do you resuscitate them or not? I, no, I, you don't. I mean, if you're carrying a do not resuscitate, I would think that that would mean that you have made the decision that you that you are not that interested in living, right? That, that, that life's not that good and sweet to you. I would think in the other scenario, the original scenario, that that person may, you know, had a fleeting belief that they you know, their, their religion for whatever, I, I don't know. I just, I think they're kind of two different levels. I think somebody who's carrying around to do not resuscitate a card on them is somebody who's prepared to die. Whereas I think I, they're the same because I, in I, both I, cases. I, hear me out. I, what I'm saying is that when that person made a religious belief that they didn't want a pig's heart or a synthetic valve, uh, that, that had you told them in that moment, they were, they were about to die. It was do or not. 
that that person would have a different, they'd say, no, 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 you know what? Save me. I'll deal so, with the repercussions. Hang on. So Kevin adds another wrinkle to this that I actually really like, which is instead of it being a card in their pocket, right? That you could pretend you didn't see. It's a tattoo. Yeah. So what if like, in either case, like, as you're taking the shirt off the patient to give them um, either the surgery or the CPR, you see a tattoo on their chest that says, do not, do not resuscitate or like the, no, the no, no synthetic no. things or like basically well, th so there's information that's now revealed to you that says that like their wishes are not to have this procedure. Well, and, and again, this is the difference between having that card and a religious belief and having it tattooed on you. So somebody But what if it's the religious belief that's tattooed on them? Well, that's that's that, if somebody's willing to put the tattoo on it, I think they're that much more serious about about that belief whereas somebody who just makes a religious decision there's a lot of religious people that are, are not very holy and saint like but they, they go to church and and they you know to whatever degree believe they're religious i i just so think you say that, that like carrying the card has less value than than having the tattoo carrying the the no foreign objects card not carrying the do not resuscitate card because if you're if you're saying do not resuscitate and you're carrying a card with you you're ready to die is, is my point i'm just thinking the other person for whatever reason you know has this card because they you know they got it at church or something church is handing them out they just kept it on them for a couple of years and they happen to get hit by a, a bus but they're they can be brought back to life i just think that they they pro most people i think who are religious don't believe all the values of that religion so kevin adds another one here which i also think is somewhat relevant which yeah. is like what if what if they got this tattoo like 20 years ago and you had like. They could have had it. I feel like we're playing. What if the Lamborghini was purple? <laughs> <laughs> what if somebody gave you a Lamborghini, James? Would you drive it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what if it was purple? Yeah, I'd still drive it. Okay. Well, what if, uh, what if it was, had some rust on it? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. But what if uh, the, the, uh, it wouldn't start? <laughs> yeah what if it didn't have any wheels <laughs> will you still drive <laughs> but you couldn't sell it uh, all right hit, hit the variations here <laughs> such a bad inside joke that i don't think anyone <laughs> except those who know will find funny so out there one person who won't listen to this episode well so know. here's the other like let me before before we move on to the variation the other justification that i'm going to make for in any of these scenarios not saving the person's life Mm -hmm. is if I'm the doctor or the paramedic, like there's, there's a legal part of this too, where like, I'm probably going to get sued for not saving that person's life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I can very easily produce the card or a picture of the tattoo and say, this is why I didn't do it. And I'd have a pretty good shot in court. However, on the other side, if I save this person's life through either the surgery or the CPR, what what have you, sued you, and I get sued because they did not want to be saved in the manner in which they were, I'm going to have a lot less backing because okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to somehow lie about not seeing the things that I saw. A lot of people lie in court. Let's hit variation number one: the child variation. Let's say the patient is a child with the same condition. 
the parents tell you that they do not want you giving that, that person a synthetic heart uh, or a pig heart or whatever. Uh, you tell the parents that the child will die without the surgery, but the parents are not swayed. They say, uh, let us say that in this example, you have the legal authority to do whatever you want. Do you perform the surgery or do you respect the parents' wishes and let the child die? I'm of two minds on this one. All right. The ethics, per the ethics answer is you save the child. There's a slightly practical consideration here in that if you've got parents that are this stupid. Do, do, you, do you want them raising a child to be just as stupid? Um, That's not know, the ethical answer. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what happened recently? I actually just read about it on, on my ride home because that's what I do driving 90 miles an hour uh, <laughs> back from Manhattan is I read articles. Um, <laughs> it's a great way to pass the time. Um, there, there's a woman giving birth and, the and, and she was in labor for 10 hours and the doctor trying to pull the baby out ripped the baby's head off. And, and I was like, oh, that's wild. It got deeper. He actually then put the baby back in and then tried to give her a C-section, said the baby died, wrapped the baby up and tried to hide the fact that the head had fallen. This is disgusting. It actually it was making me sick to my stomach. Tried to hide the fact that, that the baby's head had fallen off and then wouldn't let the, them do an autopsy afterwards. Uh, yeah, there's several things that went wrong here. This is, this is, this is the doctor that would, definitely not, that would definitely honor the parents' wishes. Um, yeah, but this is also a doctor that's going to be getting sued for every penny he ever owned. Yeah, this is this is bad, um, and it, it's especially bad because he then tried to cover it up. Like this, this is tragic. It's really sad. Yeah, because uh, like the, the first step, you could probably make an argument that like, hey, accidents happen. I guess. I I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I guess they probably don't happen that often. Um, all right, quick variation number three of the surgery. What if the person only had a chance that they would die, and there's a slight chance that they would survive? Uh, would it well? Would it matter if there's a, a greater chance or a lesser chance? My answer for the the basic premise of this problem is the same regardless. It's as soon as you have the information that they don't want this procedure or whatever, you stop and you just you're, you're clear. And like like even if their chance of death is a hundred percent, you still don't do anything. And the fact that like the chance of death might be ninety percent or fifty percent, like, well, that's great. Like, there's a possibility that I do nothing and everybody's happy. Um, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, let's hit the the. This is getting pretty morbid. The drowning child. Um, I'll I'll let you introduce the topic here. Okay. Um, you're wearing a thousand dollar suit and you see a child that's drowning in the ocean and being pulled away by the currents. You don't have time to take off the suit to save the child. Are you morally obligated to jump into the ocean and ruin this new suit to save the child? I, I would think, yes, I think there's no question about that. All right. Now you want to inter introduce the second aspect. Okay. So now you're, watching TV and an ad comes on for a charity that says for a thousand dollar donation, they'd be able to provide medical care to save a child's life in a sub-Saharan African country. 
and let's assume for the, the this argument that the ad is correct that a thousand dollars donated to this charity will save a child's life are you obligated to donate a thousand dollars to save a child's life and then and then if not how are the two examples different um so you're wasting a thousand dollar suit or you're just taking a thousand dollars and not buying a suit but saving a child um, if you want to make it as simple as possible you spend a thousand dollars and a child's life is saved so i think the difference is that one is happening in front of you and the other is happening far away i don't think that's the key difference what, what do you think is the key difference the first one where you see the kid drowning there it doesn't say this but you have to operate under the assumption that there is nobody else able to save this child okay, that you're the only person who can do this that nobody else sees them or there's nobody else around and you're the only person that can jump into the water and save the kid. And so there's no chance whatsoever that this kid's going to get saved by anybody else. And that's why your thousand dollar suit, your thousand dollar loss doesn't matter in the first example, because you and only you, Sure, but now, kid's life. but now you're watching TV and a commercial comes on that's displayed to hundreds of thousands at minimum people. And that and the commercial might even say, You and only you can save this child. <laughs> One of you. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is an interesting case in diffusion of responsibility. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I I think we've we've solved it. <laughs> yeah, all right, done. You're not saving the TV kid. Um, no. But let's assume somebody else is. Um, all right. The ethical vaccine distribution. A terrible pandemic is raging across the globe. A vaccine has finally been developed. However, production of this vaccine is slow, and it will be some time before there are enough vaccines for everyone. That's however, it's purely hypothetical. <laughs> however, each week new vaccines become available for distribution. In this scenario, you are in charge of distributing the vaccines in your country. What is the most ethical approach to vaccine distribution in your country uh, where there's not enough for everybody? How will you prioritize who gets it first? Uh, what factors do you consider? Um, and how do you ensure that distribution will be fair, equitable, and reach the maximum amount of people? So the, the, the fair and equitable is loaded because if you want to talk about fair, the only truly fair way to do something like this would be a truly random lottery. Yeah, I, I think that would probably be, uh, although if, if you're distributing so, so randomly, your distribution itself will be, will be slowed down, I would imagine. Yeah, we have to ignore some considerations here, but like, if you want to talk like, the pure, the pure philosophy answer is random because well, that, that, would, that, that means would, that everyone has an equal chance of getting this thing. Now, 
Now, is that optimal? Is that ideal? So here, let me bring yeah. it into the factor because it's the, the example he was asking. Well, to well the, the example is kind of asking how do you do? How do you distribute this optimally? Are there groups that need it more than others? So, so here would be an example. Do you save young people because they have the least? They have the most life to to lose. I would say the first people you save are the the doctors and nurses that are treating this disease because you need them to keep everybody else alive. Oh, good good thinking there. Good thinking there. I hadn't even thought about the doctors and the nurses. So um, I, I'd say the people that are fighting the battle the hardest are the ones that need it first. Because if you lose them, everybody loses. Well, that's why in the airplane you put the mask on yourself first. Yeah. That's... Uh, that's airplane etiquette 101. Um, what else? What are some other things we need to consider here? Well, I mean, the, the model that we've seen, like, and actually this is kind of how it played out in 2020 and 2021, was doctors and nurses were among the first people to get it for wow. exactly the reasons that I said. But, I, but did, we, did we focus on old people? They were kind of like it was – Old people or people that had like whatever health conditions that would make them more susceptible to COVID were the ones who were like first in line. But I'm pretty sure that doctors, doctors and nurses were like group one A. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, we got we got a few more. Uh, we got a hit, man. We're half. All right, let's keep going. All right, I'll let you pin, read the next one here. Oh, all right. So. A mad scientist invents a machine that would l allow you to live in a personalized simulation similar to a video game or the Matrix. The scientist can guarantee that you'll be happy in this machine as it caters to your every women fantasy. And while you're in the, in the machine, you won't even know that it's a simulation. Um, the catch is, if you choose to live in this situation, you can never go back to the real world. Would you? Uh, well, you missed. Are you leaving out the previous line on purpose? Um, all right. Well, the previous line, all that said, every person and thing you encounter within the machine is simply a programmed simulation, and nothing and no one you encounter will ever be real. So I can tell you my answer. Basically, it, the question is you go in a machine, you get to live in pure bliss. To me, I would say no, uh, because you can't, you can't. The sweet isn't isn't that sweet without the sour, right? Like in order to vanilla sky, yeah. But also, this is a vanilla sky example. In vanilla sky, he ends up. And here's another movie spoiler. Uh, he ends up in a uh, simulation. He get, he gets put in, into a, a coma and cryogenically frozen, effectively, and he goes into this uh, dreamlike world. Except it's actually it turns out to be a nightmare. Yeah, the problem is in, in that movie, the simulation isn't perfect. There, there's some cracks that develop. Um, but but this is this is where, you know, now that people are putting on, like, VR headsets, that's becoming more popular. People, to a degree, in, in the next 10 years, will be able to spend so much more time doing so much more sitting on their sofa or laying in bed. So, uh, I, to me, that sounds terrible. The idea of of sitting on my sofa all day playing. I'm not a video game person. So maybe, I mean, my answer to this is a clear no. Um, I happen to like real life quite a bit. Uh, what's your thinking on this? Because you're more of a video game guy. You, you spend time sitting in front of a computer playing video games. To me, 
I think you we, forgot the word inordinate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I I hate. I mean, I, I would be happy if I didn't have to go on a computer for a month or use a cell phone. Yeah, I go into withdrawal from computers after like two hours. <laughs> yeah, you're you know like so. So what's your answer on this thing? My answer is also no, because it's inauthentic. Well, the fact that you can't interact with anyone else in this scenario well, makes the thing makes is it you, you'll be able to interact with program simulated people. But I look at it kind of like if you tell a kid for the rest of your life, you just get to eat candy and ice cream. And the kids can be like, yay, candy and ice cream. But if you were to tell me today, the only thing you're ever going to be able to eat for the rest of your life is candy and ice cream. I'd be like, that sounds terrible. Much, much agreed. Much agreed. It's like this, this machine's candy and ice cream, which sounds great at first. But if you think about it for any, like, it's just fucking hollow. Um, now, it would be a little more intriguing if you could encounter other real people, meaning other people who did this procedure would also be living in your simulation. Oh, there's a cool TV show uh, where they do this shit. Uh, fuck. I will, I, will, I will find it in, uh, in just a second. So, yeah. like I could understand someone it's, it, like Going back to the Matrix, it's the, uh, like, the red pill or the blue pill question. Like, do you, do you take the pill that's going to send you into the real world, or do you want to continue just being happy in the Matrix, you're starting off in the in the Matrix, right? Yeah, but like towards the end of the movie, when um, the character is all, like sells out the rest of his crew, and like he's offered like to go back into the Matrix, and like the the agents are like, "We'll make sure that you're super happy and you get anything you want in the Matrix." So he takes the deal. Man, I gotta I gotta find this show because it's it's a it's a really cool, really cool show. I may not be able to find it. Um, upload, uploads. So they kill you off, but then they put your, they put you into the, in the, the their own matrix. Uh, some some are uh, you're dealing with some other real people, and then you're also dealing with some other Sims. All right, let's hit let's hit this next one. It's Andy Allo was the the actress I was I was thinking about. Um, what what else do we have? Colonized land problem. There's a country invaded by a more technologically advanced population. The invaders conquered this country and took the land and resources from the original population over there. For several decades, the invaders continued to control the country and established a government ruled by a small minority of them. Well, the majority original population remained oppressed. Eventually, due to mounting international pressure and internal unrest, the tyrannical government was replaced with a democracy, allowing the original people to elect representatives and fight for their interests. After the democracy was established, it was discovered that the small minority invader population still owned the vast majority of the land and resources. What should the country do? Should they redistribute the land that they took unjustly and give it back to the original population? If so, should they reimburse the invader owners for the land that they're taking back from them, many of whom were born after the period of the unjust rule, meaning the, the new population didn't take the land themselves? Or does the minority invader population have a right to that land, which they claim ownership? I mean, this is exactly 
the, the, this happens. This is happening today. Well, you have two things. You have the you have the uh, effectively Americans, but but British and, and, and French uh, that came into the U.S. and took the land from the Indians, and then you also have um, the uh, black slaves that were brought in, and uh, and now we're looking at potentially paying restitutions, even though it wasn't our generate reparate. Yeah, uh, it wasn't our generation that enslaved these people, nor are is the current generation their the original slaves ancestors were they enslaved so we have we have two things that are playing out in real time um i <laughs> i don't see uh, i actually had a client recently who was a native american and she received money from the government to a, a, a pretty nice sum uh, on a lifetime payout uh something about her tribe or the land that they were on, something along these lines. So she was she was getting money back from the U.S. Yeah. So this is another one of those ones where, like, there's the ethical answer and then there's the pragmatic answer. Well, I mean, let me ask you a question. You were born, you have this land, and then someone takes it from you, and then that person has offspring who's, who's born and has the land. Does the new person have to give you that land back? And, and if so, you know, they didn't do anything to get the land. You also didn't do anything to get the land to begin with, right? You just had the land from the beginning, as did that, as did the second generation of the oppressor. Yeah, time, time doesn't dispel wrongdoing. Sure, but the wrongdoer is now gone. Right, but the, both people, people, so the both next people generation... Born, but both people were born on that land. Right, but the next generation is still benefiting from the wrongdoing. Sure, but the, but the initial person, the oppressed, the person the land was originally taken from, that land was given to them, and who knows how they got it. Well, I mean, if, if you want to look at, like, the real-life example, the Native Americans, like, most likely trekked from Asia across, a, like, a land bridge in Alaska and mm -hmm. kind of took the land in what's now the United States from nobody. They took it from elk. But then they, but they, but there's a good chance knowing human behavior that history would say that they killed each other and, and warred against, you know, went to war against each other and took each other's land. So I just think yeah, that but that's different. Were, like, well, they were, they were taking each other's land. So at, the right, end but the at, day, at one point their land was taken by, by us. But, but my point is they were, they potentially, I don't know this, you know, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate, but they were living on stolen land as it was. No, you can't. You can't make that assumption, though. Well, for the sake of this argument, for the sake, for of, the this sake of this argument, I'm going to say it doesn't matter because, like, the what whatever doing? whatever wrongdoing through tribal warfare existed before the European settlers came. Yeah. As soon as the European settlers came and took that land from them, like. That wrong overwrites whatever wrongs existed before. So, so then my question would be, how do you resolve this conflict? You just take the land back? Well, the, the ethical answer, and this is ignoring all matters of practicality, mm -hmm. the ethical answer is you give the land back to the people to wh whom it properly belongs. And then you end up with nothing. 
Right, because you shouldn't be unjustly profiting from historical wrongdoing. And that would be the ethical argument. Um, now, practical considerations make that much more difficult to achieve. So, well, I mean, we're in that situation right now. That's, that's, right. And so you can look at, like, on the issue of reparations, where, like, paying, paying descendants of slaves today that themselves have never been enslaved, but their family at some point was, the argument for that is the wrongdoings of the past have had long-term implications for their abilities to generate generational wealth. And so and that's the, the fact that their, their ancestors were enslaved and denied all sorts of rights and opportunities means that they started off with, with a disadvantage. Yeah. And on the other hand, you can look at people who are descending descendants of slave owners and say, you were able to, in the past, your family made tremendous amounts of money off of slave labor. And even though you no longer profit off of slave labor, the wealth that you accrued 200 years ago has been able to, uh, like, just it, it, it's value and in snowball, and right. so you're still profiting off of the the. the I got slavery. you. You know, you don't have to preach to the choir here, and and also your ideology has very kind of what you're saying is is kind of framing it from the very liberal end. A lot of people would would not agree with you, although I think what you're saying is very factual. I don't I don't think you're, you're it's that biased. But we, we, well, we, I think we, what I'm saying is factual. I don't, get, I don't want to get too much into current politics because we got, we, we need, we're talking about philosophy here, so I, I think we need to move on. Okay. Um, you want to hit the warm space travel? Um, all right. You're an astronaut traveling to distant worlds and cat cataloging whatever life you find on these distant planets. You discover a planet with a wide variety of flora and fauna. And you've got a responsibility to catalog these species, either as advanced people-like species with full moral rights and protections, a mid-level species that should be protected from destruction but not placed at the same level as people, or species that can be used as resources or food. How do you make that decision? <sighs> I. This is why I think in uh, in uh, by 2050, meat will be illegal. I think uh, well, I think if we can if we can develop systems to synthetically grow meat, like you, you, every once in a while you'll see in the news like lab grown meat, yeah, and, and like the advances that are going on there and getting the cost down and the taste to be better and all that kind of stuff. At some point, I would hope that we have the technology to be able to just synthetically create meat mm -hmm. because then there would be no moral argument whatsoever as to why we should be killing animals when we can recreate the same thing in a lab. Well, that's why I think by 2050, but by 2050, I think, I think we'll be there and I think all meat will be illegal. In this scenario, you stumble across a, a random planet and there are different species of animal 
Um, before we decide whether or not we uh, we use them as food and resources, I think uh, we need to see how they taste. <laughs> Let's hit the next one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that one. Um, All right, let's let's hit the social media. I want to like I want to jump around a little bit because we're starting to run low on time, and I like this one. All right, which one? Uh, I'm just like we can get back to the first article, mm -hmm. but here's one. Imagine there's a donkey placed precisely between two identical bales of hay. The donkey has no free will and always acts in the most rational manner, which in for the purpose of this would be it's always going to go to the food that's closest to it because it doesn't want to have to walk far to get food. However, as both bales of hay are exactly the same distance away from the donkey, donkey, neither choice is better than the other. What does the donkey do? Give me does it just stand there and starve because it can't pick between the two? Well, it, 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 it sounds... If it has both in uh, bales of hay in its exact periphery, exact position in its periphery, uh, I think that would be a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a, a programming error, and it would glitch out. So, get, also give me a real life example of this. I'm trying to. There is not really a real life example of this, but what what this what this is touching on is the concept of determinism. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, is this is this this isn't on the same sheet that I'm looking at. No, I? it's a different article. It's okay, the yeah, the, the original article I think actually had this similar idea. All right, but go ahead with determinism. Well, I mean, so determinism in its most basic form is like if you can know every aspect of a system like, so if you think about like every molecule that makes up a thing, and if you know down to every precise quantity what those molecules are doing, and you have a sufficient computing power, then you should be able to predict every state that that thing will be in for as long as you would like. Because this is every against free will, it, it yeah, that's where it goes. Is if you if every everything in the world is just physics and actions and reactions that are predictable and repeatable. And the only reason why we can't look far enough into the future is because we just don't have enough information to be able and, and the ability to process that information. That doesn't mean that, well, you're doing a poor job. You're getting too technical on this. The, the simple explanation of this is if every action if performed the exact same way, is going to have the exact reaction. That when you bring the world back to the point where there was the initial Big Bang and things started happening, they were destined to happen that way because that was the only way they could have happened. Mm -hmm. and action, and you know, the, the issues, there's many and, well, happening. Well, and, and, and therefore, like, you can take any point in history and if you can measure every single thing about it, you should be able to make a perfect prediction of what will happen next for as long as you run the clock. Anything else could happen next. There's right. only one possible reaction, meaning that the decision that you made four years ago to do this or that, if you were placed in the exact same scenario, you would only have made that decision. What you need four years from now, what's going to happen to you is going to happen to you no matter what. 
mm-hmm. that your free will to make decisions is is already destined, predetermined to happen. Yep. You don't actually have free will because you are everything that's happened to you up until this minute. And yeah, and if we were to be able to precisely measure things about you accurately enough with the right computing power, we could tell you everything that will happen to you. That's what's called hard determinism. Now, Kevin says, and this is actually where I was going with it, so I'm really happy that he said this. He says, quantum theory, like quantum mechanics actually um, answers this. And Kevin is saying, now this is where I'm going to diverge from. He says, quantum mechanics says we have no free will or say in anything we do. And I would say the opposite is that at the absolute tiniest scales, quantum, quantum mechanics is completely random. Now, that doesn't mean, like, and it's based off of probabilities, where if you measure things, there's a probability it'll be here or there, but you will never find a scenario where something is always 100% this or 100% that, that there is a fundamental randomness to the universe at the absolute tiniest of scales. And the reason why we don't really see it is because these scales are so tiny that as soon as you get even a small amount of matter, the number of particles that are in it are so huge that like, if you've got a 60% chance of something, but you've got that 60% chance times 27 quintillion or whatever, then you're just going to end up with 60. And so, and so, but the thing is those small variations on the tiniest of scales matter. And so my answer to this donkey question of which bale of hay does it choose left or right that are both a hundred feet away from it is there's going to be some tiny quantum jitter that's going to move a molecule on the bale of hay by like nanoscale amounts. And if the donkey is programmed correctly, it'll be able to detect that. And all of a sudden it'll move towards that direction. Even if it's like 10 to the negative 27 meters. The the quantum aspect of this actually is, is pretty interesting. I think we have to call this the last one um, just because we do. Uh, but we might be able to, we might have enough content left to, to pick back up where we left off in the next episode. We'll have to discuss that off air. Yeah. Uh, on that note, though, I want to let people know that they can go to siptalkpodcast.com. That's our new website. We're still working on building it out, but it does exist. So that's pretty cool. And not to forget to subscribe on YouTube, where we're live now. You can comment on YouTube. We can see your comments. If you're watching on Instagram or TikTok, we can't really see those. Not just you can subscribe on YouTube, but you can also catch us live on Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch as well. And you can catch our audio version only on your favorite audio podcast platform. Anything I'm missing here? we got about a minute. Uh, all right. I'm going to pull this off air. I want to thank everybody for joining, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for coming. Adios. That concludes the episode. If you liked it, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast. The subscribe numbers are something we really count on, and I appreciate both of you for subscribing. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.